All right. Well, welcome everybody to this episode of EM Over Easy. I'm your host, Andy Little, joined by my co-host, Tanner Gronowski. And we have got two really special guests with us here today. We've got Risa Lewis, Professor of Emergency Medicine and Radiology, and the Director of Pornicker Ultrasound at Thomas Jefferson University, also the voice behind the Visible Voices podcast. So our second guest is one of her dear friends and I think a fan of the show, Adara Landry. She is a assistant program director and assistant professor of emergency medicine at Harvard Medical School and at Brigham Women's Hospital. Guys, thanks so much for coming on the show to talk to us today. Thank you for, thanks having, for having us. So this, when you guys came to us to do a show, we were really excited, one, about the topic because mentorship is something that the three of us have talked about. We haven't done a deep dive in it. And I actually thought about this. I'm not sure why we haven't, but I'm glad that we haven't because now we can bring you guys on to do a deep dive with us about the idea of mentorship. And you guys have been published recently about this in a couple different places. And so we're really happy to have you on to talk about this really important topic for us as emergency medicine physicians and as physicians in general. So why don't we just kick in and go to the topic and you guys kind of get us started. Well, um, yeah. So thanks again for having us. And um, we're really excited here to be able to speak to you about what we would describe as a very important topic when it comes to career development. And we specifically want to talk about our experience using Twitter as a wonderful house for mentorship, both as a mentor and as a mentee. I wanted to start by telling you a little bit about my experience. I actually just really joined Twitter um, maybe a year ago. I opened an account when I was a resident and I felt quite intimidated by the noise, by the, the volume of folks who were there. I didn't really know how to engage. And so I created the account and I think I never really logged back on. And then about a year ago, someone said, you should get back on Twitter and use it as a means to connect with others and to really showcase your journey so that you can help others along the way. And so I did that. And I noticed um, as I started to engage more and, and see what other people are talking about, this one medical student posted a, a Twitter, um, probably in the beginning of my journey on Twitter um, personally, and asked something about finding, like, I need help finding an emergency medicine mentor. I don't really know how to do that. So I actually reached out to this person via direct message, which is really how I spend the vast majority of my time on Twitter is personal messages or direct messages. Um, I only have, I'm actually one tw tweet shy of a thousand tweet, um, uh, tweets, but I have, I think I counted the other day about 350 or so direct messages that have been all created in the last year, because to me, that's the best way of developing that network. So I reached out to this medical student and I said, let me just kind of give you some guidance on this. This is what I have learned. I'm happy to share. And I focused really on three things with the student. The first was identity. And I noticed that this particular student, um, their identity was a little bit shielded. They had an alias. It was like medical student, blah, blah, blah. They didn't list their, their level of training, where they were, the institution, what they were interested in. So I sort of encouraged that part to be revealed just so I knew who, who I was talking to, right? There's a degree of vulnerability that we need to have. And so um, we have to sort of share who we are to someone else to really connect. The second thing I talked about were needs and what specifically do you need from this EM mentor? What, what would you need from me? And what would be your first question you'd have for me? The third would be, how are you going to engage? And so what I meant by that was, are you someone who needs to be mentored over the phone in person? Are you comfortable with this distance? Because right now in this remote world, we're not really meeting one-on-one. -on -one. And so you really have to be comfortable with the idea that this might be something that's very asynchronous. So you might reach out to me today and I'm not going to respond for a week. 
because it's on this social media platform that I'm not checking every day. So there were a lot of, you know, sort of terms and strategies that I gave this person. And I think when I reflect back on that, I remember reading a lot of articles, even when I was in residency, about the value of Twitter, but not so much about the strategies in which you can use to really exploit all of the benefits. And so that's when Dr. Lewis and I connected and we said, why don't we write about how you actually do this? Why don't we sort of make this term sheet very clear for folks so that they knew what are the steps to really, really exploit all of the benefits of this platform? That is such a cool story. The concept of you just kind of like joining up, not really being having like a huge presence necessarily, but then seeing somebody out in the Twitterverse, picking them out and helping guide them is already setting us up for, I think what's probably going to end up being a lot of part of this discussion is how easy it is to connect and how big of a tool Twitter can be or similar venues to create really good relationships with people. You know, I, it's really funny that you say you, you signed up for Twitter early and then just didn't really use it. I did the same thing. I had one from like way back when I was in, I don't know, high school or something. It was like when Twitter first started, I made some screen name and I was like, yeah. And I never got on it for like years. And then finally being convinced by, I think it was Andy that convinced me to get on Twitter. And I didn't really believe him because I tried to avoid it at all costs, but it has paid off big time. Risa, why don't you, uh, you know, tell us why you think that Twitter is a good place to go and what are why what are people looking for with it? Sure. I, I'm gonna jump on what you just said about that it's paid off big time. Can I just ask you what about it has paid off big time for you? I mean, the, the easiest case in point is this podcast we're on right now. I mean, we had three of us that were sitting in diners talking about random things together. We put some some audio together uh, pretty terribly and uh, and got some really great help from people when we reached out on Twitter on guiding us on how to do podcasting and how to get us through these initial bumps and bruises of starting a podcast. And it, it really blossomed into what is now what I would consider relationships and friends that um, not only are we learning from them, but now we're, you know, commiserating together in, in terms of our, our work life, our home life, um, talking about the fun stuff that we do, meeting at conferences. Um, it's just been, it's opened up our world massively. Of the, the geography, the, those, the ge those geographic boundaries sort of being removed have been really instrumental probably for the four of us as far as it's just so much easier to reach out. I cut off Risa Lewis. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> it's because we're okay. so excited. We are so excited to be on EM Over Easy. We just can't contain ourselves because in all seriousness, Tanner, what you shared is exactly it. That's like bingo. Um you know, what exactly are the rules of engagement and why engage? Uh, I, when I signed up for Twitter, was really, really, really hesitant. I kind of believe in separation of personal and professional. And I think for many of us, we think of social media as what you do uh, as part of your, perf your, your personal hat, your personal life and not professional. And I would say, you know, my frame of reference is emergency medicine and point of care ultrasound. And within the emergency ultrasound community, uh, we're 80-20. 80% 80 of us are med ed people. What I started seeing in the literature, and I like making uh, use of the word literature like that, um, is that uh, people were using Twitter for medical education purposes. And so when Adair and I started connecting on many topics, specifically mentorship, I said, you know, um, there's something here and I haven't seen anything written about it. Let's do a little bit of a deeper dive because there's something to it. And um, 
I first uh, started uh, with the the expectation of doing much more reading and following than actually participating. And what I've seen specifically in emergency medicine and in ultrasound is it is a great way to learn. It's a great way to keep up on what's happening. And, you know, the turn we took with this, this publication is it's actually a great way to get and to give mentorship. Uh, one of the things I want to pick up on from what Adara shared is she said to me, because I, 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 as I shared, I like to keep that separation of personal and professional. And, you know, I'd like to identify as being quote private. Many people like to say, oh, I'm private, but my initial handle was at ultrasound R-E-L, R-E-L are my initials. So Adara one time um, pinged me. She's like, hey, are you trying to be difficult to find on Twitter? Because she knew me. I was like, no, why do you say that? She said, because, you know, I type in Risa and you don't pop up. And so she was the one that guided me and said, you know, maybe you should change your handle to at Risa, uh, Risa E. Lewis. And that's what my handle is now. And it actually, it was exquisitely on point, helpful um, I'm easier to find, and I think that's increased the engagement and um, my effectiveness on Twitter. One of the things, and, and you mentioned this a little bit, Tanner, was that you ping someone for a particular question. And I think for me, when I previously thought of mentorship, I thought of, of it as a very longitudinal process, right? Sitting in, in a room across a table, meeting quarterly for an hour long, going over my CV and my needs. And, and that process, I think, really halted my growth of my network because it's a big commitment to ask folks to do that. And so the thing I like about mentorship here on Twitter is that if you do it well, meaning you have very specific questions and needs that you need to have fulfilled by someone who could be anywhere, right, across the country, across the globe, and you specifically target your questions to someone who you feel like has that niche really, really well um, mastered, then you don't really have to have such a big ask. So I think the barrier and the parameters are sort of engaging with folks are totally different and that they can be these very, very, very quick questions such as which mic should we be using for our, our podcast? Can, can you talk me a little bit through the process in which you were you know, deciding on how to buy a mic? And so you can go to someone who has a very successful podcast and they're available for communication and just ask these very targeted questions. That's brilliant. I I think that the concept of like the rules of engagement, you know, you, you talked about identity needs, how everyone's going to be engaged or how you're going to be engaging, but then those parameters of what that engagement's going to be and being able to really target for exactly what you're, what you need and what they're able to handle uh, as a mentor. And that's, that's awesome. Andy, I'm pretty sure that we have either asked what mic to use and or told people who have asked us what mic to use. Uh, I don't know. 500 times. <laughs> yeah. As I'm listening to, you know, everybody's telling their story. I, I imagine, I remember multiple reach outs to, you know, people who helped us get started people who, when, when I was looking for jobs uh, this last 18 months, if I couldn't find their contact information on the program website, I found them on Twitter and I said, Hey, I'm looking at a job at your place. Can you give me a little bit of a background on it? And granted it would always be like, Hey, I feel like this isn't a Twitter answer let's go have a, why don't we email each other? Hey, can we do a Zoom call? Hey, can we do a phone call? But I like the idea that I never really set up rules of engagement, but I think it's important to have them knowing that there are certain things you can ask on the platform that are great, quick answers, quick questions, but then that can also dovetail into other mentoring opportunities or sessions um, like on the phone or over a Zoom or via email. And the other thing is you mentioned um, uh, the, the concept of um, how you sort of will 
um, speak to folks and, and engage with folks. But the other thing is, there really is a lot of passive mentorship that I, that I see on, on Twitter. And so what I think is actually the most valuable is relevant to my career right now is listening to other women, women of color speak about their experiences in academia. And so I might not always engage with every single person who writes a very profound post or thread, but to me, that is a form of mentorship that's occurring at a distance, a different type of distance than remote distancing, you know, in the virtual world in that I'm not really talking to them one-on-one, they're talking to this larger audience, Mm -hmm. but I'm gaining so much insight from them. And so this idea of really being able to see someone's inner thoughts. And I think one thing about Twitter is that I feel like people are, they let their barriers down a bit more in that area than they do in the office space. And so there's this comfort with being able to talk about anything, talk about your successes. Oh, look, I just got this award. I just published this paper in a way that I think is, you know, advantageous for everyone. One, it promotes that person's um, you know, brand and what their academic identity is, but it also lets p- folks who are more junior know, like, this is an opportunity that I can strive for. I didn't actually know that this opportunity even exists. So now I have something else to, to um, you know, go after in the next few years. So I think it really opens up the door of opportunity by doing that as well. I was going to share that, um, Andy, based on, you know, you were discussing these interactions and you wanted to get more information. If we kind of go back to the mentor-mentee, and that's exactly what is the mentor's responsibility is maintaining those boundaries and knowing when to say, yeah, let's take it to another um, medium, you know, phone, Zoom, et cetera. Um, Also, um, with what Adara has described and defined is this concept of maybe passive mentorship versus active mentorship and how we traditionally see it versus how it's taken a different form during the pandemic, during the age of all of us becoming quite facile with Zoom. And it can take those many different forms depending on the need. A lot of people who are very, very famous and have a big following clearly aren't following all of their followers and they may not have even be aware of the effect they're having on their mentees. Um, We talked about this concept in the paper of legitimacy and how do you know that someone truly is a good mentor and is putting out uh, legitimate content. And and there's a checkbox and, you know, audience probably knows what the checkbox is, but basically if you get a a check uh, on Twitter, then that somehow means that you have passed the, um, past the bar or somehow Twitter, uh, the people behind the the scenes of Twitter have said that, you know, we think that you are worthy of a following and the content you put out uh, is accurate. Now, that's been a little controversial too, because there's been a sense that maybe everybody getting a checkbox um, doesn't look the same and act the same, meaning there's a feeling that maybe women and people of color aren't getting the checkbox as much. And so Dara and I talked about that. Well, like, so what do we do? And, you know, where do we let the checkbox play a role in who we follow and who we listen to? And at the end of the day, it is some sort of criterion. We just don't know where it's going to shake out. Yeah, that's, that's a definitely one of those things that as big of a universe that Twitter is, uh, you know, being able to critically think on your own a little bit does come into handy when you are trying to evaluate whether someone is legitimately going to be a good mentor, whether it's passive or active, uh, and taking kind of what you see into account and interpreting that for yourself. Um, there is, it's great to have, you know, some validity by, you know, Twitter or or whoever is saying this person is good, but I think there is still room for us to make our own personal evaluation of someone and say, Hey, you know what? This person may only have 2000 followers, but 
they are speaking some really good stuff. They, they are making sense. I understand this. Um, and whatever the topic may be, I, I want to reach out to them. Yeah. And I think prior to the pandemic where I feel like there's been this, this mass check box giving out in the last six months, and maybe, maybe there hasn't been, I, or all the people that I follow now magically have check boxes. But I think before in medicine and even now, like, like Tanner said, there are some up and coming names of people who are valuable people to passively follow, to get mentorship from their stories that aren't going to have that checkbox. So it's a mix of there is the external validator, but also look at the, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Um, and so see what they're actually tweeting. Does it, does it add value to your day when you, when you scroll through their threads? Is it mostly positive? Is it constructive? Is it good information? Um, is what they're putting out there validated? So um, there are some things that you can do outside of looking at the checkbox. And the nice thing about it is the barrier of entry is so low. I mean, you can start, if you're listening to this right now, you can um, go straight onto Twitter right after this podcast ends. And really you're already now in the network. And so the, the barrier of entry is really nice and you can really just start doing strategies immediately that will help build your network. I mean, I, I always say to, you know, I do a lot of mentorship for medical students and I understand that some of them are nervous about revealing themselves to a, a personal degree. So I always tell them to, you know, introduce yourself by titrate to comfort and to really share what you feel comfortable sharing. If you don't want to put your full name, that's totally okay. But just realize that there that might be a limiting factor as far as how much people will engage with you if you're, you know, behind an alias. But I do respect the, the choice of doing that. I, I tell people to create this networking snowball, which is Andy, I might follow you and look at who you follow and who you are liking and who you are retweeting and follow that person as well. It's just this never ending um, collection of people who you can continue at to your your portfolio of followers or, or people you follow. And so that's a really nice way of just engaging, right? Within a day or so, you can have a ton of people who you're following. I mean, you want to do it. I, I try to be selective and, and, and make sure that I'm following people with purpose. Um, and I also try to make sure I'm finding people who are already not in my, who are not in my network already locally. And so, um, you know, I don't really fall. I don't really have a lot of exposure to black senior women in my department. And so I will, um, specifically look for folks who are, who are adding voice and perspective and, and, and tips and um, strategies for developing their career, knowing that I probably will have a similar perspective. And so I try to find folks who really fill that, that gap that I might have at my local institution. Adair, I'm wondering if you can uh, talk a little bit about the DMs. I'm, I, um, I knew that you had regular mentoring sessions, but I didn't know that you actually had most of your engagement via DM. Do you just have an open DM for everybody or how, what do you have your settings? Yep. I have it open. And then um, I, I would say the vast majority of my time, if I'm, if I'm logged into Twitter, I'm, I'm chatting with folks. And so a lot of it might just be me checking in with people. And so maybe every few months or so, I might message someone again, just to see how they're doing. And that keeps that conversation going. So I won't necessarily message you, Andy, every week. I think that might be too much. But if you are a mentor of mine, for instance, I might, um, you know, if I publish a paper and I put it on Twitter, I might circle back with you and say, oh, just as an update, this was that paper that I mentioned to you, I ended up getting it published. And so that update just keeps me in the loop. The other thing I like about uh, you know, about centralizing it to Twitter is that there's not conversation all over the place. So, you know, I'm not having some of the conversation on um, email, some of it text message, and then some of it's in person. Like for me, it's all there in that one conversation so that if someone circles back with me six months later, I can scroll back up 
and see, oh, that's right. I do remember having this conversation with you. So that logging really helps refresh my memory and um, allows me to have that continuity with ease. Yeah, I have to admit the the best part of the function is, is that rather than have it be date it was received, um, it's all about who it's with. And so versus email where it's, I literally have to like search and be like, I got 10,000 emails in the last month. So no, it's, you bring up some really good, good features about the platform that make it really fun to, or make it very usable to do mentorship from. I like the idea of the reach back out. What, what kind of lets you know that like, that's what they want? Like, do you, do you discuss that? Let's say, Hey, I'm going to, we're going to have this initial back and forth, and then I'm going to periodically reach out to you. How do you decide to do that? It depends on which role I'm playing at the time. So as a, as a mentor, I don't think any mentee would ever be upset if I sent them something that just said, hey, just checking in, seeing how medical school is going, seeing how residency is going. I've never um, received any external or outward sign that that is annoying for folks. So I just presume I'm going to keep doing that. Um, and there won't be any issues from that standpoint. What I do if I'm if I'm wearing my mentee hat is generally speaking, when a conversation ends, I might sort of leave it at like a cl- with a cliffhanger um, or leave some reason to come back. So if I were to reach out to Dr. Risa E. Lewis and say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm really interested in this paper you wrote. Um, do you think, you know, at some point in time we can speak about it? Then perhaps I might wait a few months or a few weeks and after I've read the paper, I might comment back and saying, this was such an interesting point. This is what I really, really enjoyed. And then because of this, I might be now doing this project. Do you think when I start to launch this project, I might be able to run a couple questions through you? And so that just sort of like leaves that conversation open. Someone wrote this um, really amazing modern love article. And I was telling uh, Risa Lewis about this yesterday. And I reached out to her on Twitter because my dream is to publish in Modern Love with New York Times. And um, I reached out to her saying, this was such a great article. I really, really enjoyed it. And she said, thank you. And so I said, uh, you know, one of my dreams is to write there. Maybe one day I'd be able to share something with you. And so that, that would be a reason why I'd be able to come back and say, oh, by the way, I finally got something published. Oh, that's awesome. I, 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 like, I like that back and forth and the calculated nature in which that happens. Because I feel like that's the one of the best parts about Twitter is you can make it purpose-driven and maximize what you get out of it. Yeah, and I think the the times on Twitter when I've been in the mentor position, after I've had a conversation and a good interaction with somebody, if they reach out again a year later and it's kind of out of the blue, because we have that previous history – I'm okay with that usually, especially if we've had a, you know, like I said, a good interaction, you know, we, we have had uh, similar talks in the past or something along those lines, or like we talked about earlier, knowing the parameters of the engagement, that mentee has reached out with a very specific question or idea that they want to discuss. Um, so I, you know, I do think that it's, it's kind of like, you know, finding an old friend that you see him in the airport uh, while you're crossing paths, you can say hi real quick, you can catch up real quick and maybe have a quick address uh, uh, or, or touch base. And then you can always follow up in the future on if you want to do more in-depth stuff. One of the experiences I've had is someone who starts as a friend on Twitter. I think the term is fritter. And then from the friendship <laughs> Yeah, you've not heard that? I've never heard that no, term. I, I, I love We're it. I love it. So every, you know, we, we are, today's podcast is is a podcast of fritters. <laughs> it's It kind of reminds me of the Muppets, like down in Fraggle Rock, we're fritters. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, sometimes the, the engagement begins as a friendship, uh, something very friendly and casual, uh, not formal, not professional on Twitter. And then it becomes more... Uh, 
professional and the person can, you know, wear the hat as a mentor to you or vice versa. And actually that's one of the, in terms of if we were to define mentorship, uh, there is this fluidity that's, you can be a coach sometimes, you can be a friend sometimes, but there's that way to engage. And going back to what we were talking about with Twitter is the rules of engagement uh, are a little different than say when you uh, are formally assigned someone as a mentor in, in your actual office space. I want to bring up something that I certainly have experienced, and I'm going to just take a guess that all of you have experienced it, certainly audience members, is what happens when you reach out to someone who you really want to be your mentor and they don't respond? Adara. Oh, that happens all the time for me. I mean, I've reached out to, I, I, will, I will not name this person, but an incredible author at The Atlantic. And I, and I specifically said, I, I love your work. And this specific thing about is, is what I love. So I was very um, detailed and it was clearly a curated message for this one person. So there's no way that they would think I'm writing it to a hundred people. And so it was personalized. And I said, this is what I love about your work. And I asked, I said, you know, is there any way that you might be interested in taking on a, a mentee to help sort of train them up for, for writing? And it was a stretch, right? But but I said, you know, it's so low risk in the sense that I, you know, I'm not going to, no one will know about this conversation except for all the people who listen to this podcast now. And, but there's, there's a potential for high reward. So it was low effort, high reward for me just to reach out. And of course, not of course, but um, this person did not respond and has still not responded. And every once in a while, I'll check back on that message just to see if there's been a change. But but there's been no response, and that's okay. But I'm really glad that I tried because if that person did respond and did say yes, that would have been a huge move for my career, right? To have exposure to this person. So you have to sort of go into it knowing that most people who don't respond are doing so because they're busy, because they have no bandwidth, because they get asked all the time, um, but they're flattered. And, and I take that silence, not from a, they are so upset that I reached out and complimented them on their work, but just that they just can't respond to everyone. There's no way that they're going to be able to respond to everyone in a meaningful way. So I personally don't take it um, in a way that makes me feel discouraged. And I feel like I'm not going to do it anymore. I, I still do it all the time. I've, I've tried to message many people and if they don't respond, it's okay. We'll keep going um, because there's a chance that someone will say yes. Yeah, I think that's that is a a great point for people to hammer home because it's okay if somebody doesn't reply. Sometimes I will get messages, I will read them, but then my two and a half year old goes streaking down the hallway without pants on and I'm chasing him down and I may forget about it because I'm busy and or I go off to work for the next, you know, my my night shift, who knows? And um and it may drift off into space and it may never come to fruition. But just because somebody reached out and you don't get a reply shouldn't mean that you are, you know, try to try to avoid that defeatist mentality and maybe use that as more of a positive, like, Hey, at least I tried. Um, what's, what's that quote from Michael Jordan that you, you miss a thousand percent of the, or a hundred percent of the shots you never take type of scenario. I think it's, I think it's worth a shot. Yeah. And I think it's important to do a circle back later. Cause a lot of these people that just depending on their bandwidth, I've had multiple of those times where I, I sent an initial message, nothing. I wait a couple of weeks. I say, I say, Hey, I don't know if you saw the last one. Here's what I'm interested in. And then boom, they respond. And it's just, you caught them at the right moment where they were available to give you the information that you needed. 
Andy, I'm, I'm really glad you shared that. I had the same experience specifically with launching this podcast. And I would say my stretch asks have usually been uh, in the context of uh, inviting podcast guests. And you're like, I'm going to write to them. I'm going to write to them. And then you write. And again, crickets. And I'm like, oh, and it, totally Tanner, I do have to go through the phase of defeatist. And then I get to the other side of it. I'm so glad I tried. But, and I've done the circle back and, you know, maybe uh, this got missed in your email and the answer is yes, that's happened twice now. Um, You know, 2020 is an unusual year for everybody. Yeah, I can tell you right now that Colonel Hadfield is going to get a circle back here in a little bit because our EM Over Easy crew is obsessed with him and we want him on our podcast, but he very politely declined the first time. And maybe, you know, after the craziness of 2020 and all the Zooms I'm sure he's doing, he'll find some time for this little tiny podcast. We love you, Colonel. We love you. The last thing, just as you know, as a reminder to folks listening to this, is that the boundaries have been removed. They were never there to begin with, but I think COVID really, really, really has shown us that um, this remote connection, this, this ability to connect with people over distance, over technology, is actually possible, and um, we can be comfortable doing that. And so, um, challenging yourself to reach out to folks who are outside of your department, your institution your city, the field of medicine. I mean, going all the way through the entire like possibilities, there's, there's, you know, it's, you know, rather endless. And so um, really trying to remove the boundaries of, of who you can connect with. I've reached out to people who are CEOs of, of, of non-medical companies just to sort of get some, some leadership advice. And so I think you can totally challenge yourself as far as who you can ultimately put in your network. All right. So let's do some quick take-homes. So I think what I heard was, is that the, really the benefit of Twitter is it's low effort, but a potential for high reward in that you can log on today, sign up for an account, make sure that it's enough to where people could find you and then start following people um, that you, that you like people that are in the space you want to occupy and maybe where you want to be in a couple of years. The, the second take-home I heard was, is don't be afraid from a lack of response. Yes, people, Twitter is on 24-7, but the people who use Twitter are not. And then remember that the benefit of Twitter is a lot of the boundaries of feeling, oh, I can't go talk to this person, don't exist inherently because of the way the platform has been put together. Any other take on points that Risa and Adair want to bring up? I would say just try it. I mean, it's, it's, such, a, it's such a friendly environment for the most part. For the most part, that people really do want to help out, and I and, and I think a lot of people there are really trying to show their successes and share their successes, and really try to um, expand their network and connect and collaborate. And I'll add that I just think it's an amazing resource for learning and education in your specific subject matter expertise and also outside it. It rounds out your knowledge and it keeps you up to date with what's happening, certainly in the world, certainly locally, and certainly in medicine. And I think that the four of us on this call can all say with um, full disclosure that Twitter has been influential in our career paths influential in our goals and our successes, and is probably intricately tied into our future successes in our specific fields. So again, Reese and Adair, we really appreciate you guys coming on and talking about the show. Don't forget to check out the Visible Voices podcast with Risa Lewis, one of our guests today. She's the voice and the mastermind. It's a great podcast that you can check out. We'll put the information for it in the show notes. You can follow both of these amazing women on Twitter. They both occupy the space well and bring a heavy game to follow and one that the the, the hosts of the podcast can probably up our game to be as good as Adair and Risa. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter. 
Facebook, and Instagram.